0: Good morning. Good morning. I do this now, so I've got to remember to take this out. Too many years relying on Steve. The, this part of the story of Jacob um, is a great picture of God's mercy and grace. Jacob wasn't committed to God and he wasn't fearing God. He had left his family and he was on the run for his life from his brother Esau. And you might be allowed to think that God could have allowed Jacob to be alone, to fall into more lies and deceit, to fall into trouble that he might have come across on his way up to Haran, to face all sorts of uh, trouble that he might come across on his travels but it's God's mercy that is extended to Jacob. His mercy to Jacob that states that although you've treated me one way I won't treat you the same. Although you've forgotten about me I haven't forgotten about you. And you might have gone off by yourself but I will not leave you. No matter what Jacob deserved, that's not what God actually gave him. That's his mercy and God's grace into Jacob's life in so many ways but predominantly in in, in the covenant promise that God fulfils through Jacob and starting out the nation of Israel. And this morning if you're sitting here as a child of God, as someone who has placed their faith in God, then you are a recipient of the mercy of God that you no longer face the penalty for your sin, which is death. And God's grace to you is extended through Jesus Christ, the free gift, by believing in him. God's mercy and grace hand in hand at work both in the life of Jacob here as we'll see this morning and also today as we live our lives. What a family this family is. Esau, the faithless, the sinful, the sexually immoral, sells his birthright to his immature, sort of self-centred, deceiving younger brother. Just younger, but as we heard last week. These were the sons of Isaac. Isaac who wanted to pass on the covenant blessing that was chosen for Jacob, but he passed on to his favourite son, Esau. And their mother, Rebekah, who used Jacob to deceive her husband, Isaac, a couple of times, but in order to get the blessing to Jacob. Just when you thought the Simpsons were the most dysfunctional family going around. And now we read that Esau wants to kill Jacob and Rebecca continues to use Jacob to, to deceive Isaac in order to get Jacob away from the family up to her brother's place. And it would seem that Isaac is dealing with the fact that no matter how hard he tried to pass on the blessing to who he thought was best, his first born son, Esau, his favourite, that it wasn't God's plan, that God has intended this for Jacob and that's the way it's come about. And so Jacob deceived his his brother, deceived his father and is out on his own running for his life Although we are looking at events from thousands of years ago, we can learn from the lives of the people that have gone before us, we know that. But we also live with the promise that the merciful and gracious, loving, forgiving God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, these patriarchs of faith, it hasn't changed in these thousands of years and is the same Merciful, gracious, loving, forgiving God, whom we worship today. And not just today, but as we go out and live our lives in this community. So, this murderous plot from verse 41 of chapter 27 comes from Esau. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill. My brother Jacob. The anger in Esau's heart is so overwhelming; he's ready to murder his brother. And it got me thinking during the week: how do we manage our anger? Here he is, being deceived. He's been tricked by his brother. He seems to have lost everything, Jacob. The, the, the pride of being the firstborn and the entitlements that that had seems to have gone. He didn't seem to manage his anger very well. But it got me thinking what is different and we are to be different out in the world, what is different then about the way that we manage and deal with our anger compared to those in our workplace and our community? Um, our school, perhaps even our home. What is actually standing out to those around us that says, did you just see see the way that he actually manages those situations or she deals with anger in those circumstances? Um, Rachel and I watch a show called Revenge. Um, some of you might, might watch it, maybe not. Uh, it, it's all about this lady who has taken who is taking revenge episode by episode goes on for so long uh, taking revenge upon a whole wide range of people who have uh who have taken you know, part of murdering her father and it is uh quite extraordinary the links that she goes to uh the lies that she tells and the people that she hurts, obviously as the deceit and the lies go deeper and deeper and deeper and bigger, uh, the, the people that she doesn't want to hurt, she hurts and she's now at a point, um, <laughs> I hope I'm not ruining it for you, Graham, but she's at a point now because we've watched a few more episodes than Can what... It, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's sad. Yeah. So, she's at this point now where... All the lies are coming out and the truth is coming out about actually who she is and people are discovering who she is. And it's got really messy and all the relationships are messed up. But that's what uncontrolled anger gets to, doesn't it? It gets messy and it ruins relationships. It ruins relationships at home, in the church. And Jesus put it plainly in Matthew five, twenty two. That you've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, whoever is angry with his brother is subject to judgement. And this is an angry Esau ready to murder his brother. And when Rebecca learns of it, she comes to Jacob in verse 42. Your brother Esau is consoling himself with the thought of killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? From from what we read, it's in fact the last time Rebecca will see her son Jacob. And she goes on... To Isaac and doesn't put it the same way that she just spoke to Jacob about it. She turns, twists the truth and why we need to get Jacob up to my brother's place because there's no suitable women around here, which also is the truth of the time. So as Esau, we read, marries a cousin from his father's side, uh, from his, sorry, from, um, his uncle's side, Ishmael possibly to try to get back in favour with Rebecca and Isaac uh, because he'd already married the Canaanite women. Uh, maybe he thought Jacob's going up there to marry someone from the family, someone good that they're pleased with, I'll do this and maybe they'll be happy with me. right? He's really looking for some sort of fulfilment. While he does that, Jacob has had left and he was on his way up north and on that journey, as we just read, God appears to Jacob and announces the covenant promise that Jacob had heard previously from his father. But this time it wasn't coming from Isaac, it was coming from God himself. And there had to be a step of faith from Jacob to say I'm buying into this promise, God. It wasn't just going to happen because he was a grandson of Abraham. Abraham because he was a son of Isaac and that's why God intervened in the life of Jacob here. There's no children or grandchildren in the kingdom of heaven. At some stage you must believe for yourself in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Believe for yourself in what God has planned for your life and how God wants you to live. And Jacob's response is a real turning point in his life. In verse 16 it says, When Jacob awoke from his sleep he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. God was no longer just spoken about in Jacob's life. God was not, no longer just, something spoken about at the dinner table or thought about it was time now that Jacob to make a commitment to God that he would be real in the mind and in the heart of who Jacob was and the life that Jacob led it was time that Jacob took God seriously and feared the Lord Did it mean that Jacob was perfect from that time on and his life was just amazing and there was nothing else to go wrong? Well, of course not. We'll see that this morning. But it's definitely a point in Jacob's life where God mercifully and graciously intervened and Jacob responded by faith. Has there been a moment in your life where God has intervened? where God has challenged you to say, well, here is a point in your life where you need to make a decision. It's to continue down the path that you're leading now, the way that you're living now, where it's all about you or it's time to place your faith in me and believe in me and live for me. What's your response been? Perhaps you've believed in Jesus Christ as your Saviour. Maybe he's a little one, maybe he's a bit older. But now God is challenging you that I don't just want a little bit of your time on a Sunday or on a Wednesday night or a Friday night. I want everything. I want everything about who you are. I want to, know, I want to be in control of your mind, your thoughts, your life, your decisions. What's your response? To God intervening and challenging you in these areas. God's not calling you this morning to be a patriarch of faith as you walk out of this place. It's a journey, the faith journey. It's a marathon, if you like. And Jesus describes in Matthew about the mustard seed. And if your faith is like that of a mustard seed, it's enough to move mountains. Not because your faith is huge or big or amazing, but because God is powerful and big and amazing. And if you go from this place with, the mustard seed sized faith in God, God will do amazing things with you. God will use you for his glory and purpose and his plan. And as that happens, then you go on that faith journey and you grow and you mature and that faith grows and becomes stronger and you trust God more and more as circumstances in life creep in. I know it because it's true of my life. When my faith has been so small but God has used me to encourage others, to bless other people, God has used me for his plan, for his purpose for me existing and in those times I know that they have been times of growth because I can see what God can do with such little and if only I could trust him more and have faith in the hardest of circumstances more and more. What will God do with that? I've asked myself, what will God do with that if I can trust him more, if my faith grew and grew more? As shallow or as immature as the faith of Jacob may be here, it's a starting point really for Jacob at a crossroads moment in his life. God was at work in the life of Jacob as God worked out his plan and his purpose for Jacob, for the nation of Israel. When I was in year 10, it was 1994. Um, I don't remember much of meeting Rachel then. Uh, She was in primary school. No need to be specific about the grade. Um, But I can assure you it wasn't until she was 16 and in year 11 when we started going out. But we... We, I think I might have shared this before. We, um, you know, we we sort of met and sort of started going out after a, a winter sleep at night at Rob Mary's place, um, uh, 2002, I think. And I remember the next day a sort of quite awkward sort of conversation on the phone. And it was, oh, hi, how are you going? Good. Um, so... I think Rachel said, what do you do now? And I said, oh, do you want to go out? (laughs) Okay, alright, talk to you later, bye. Yeah, it's embarrassing. Uh, I'm sure if we went around the room, you know, we'd have some fantastic stories to tell of where we met, you know, and how we sort of started dating and proposal stories. Um, I can't imagine one more amazing than Andrew and Naomi's at the Carols by Candlelight uh rehearsal last year that actually got airtime. <laughs> and I was disappointed that you weren't there the next morning, the next night. But I'm not sure if we'd have any stories about people meeting at a well where Jacob first meets Rachel. And I'll just read in verse 10 when Jacob saw Rachel daughter of Laban his mother's brother and Laban's sheep he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud he just sort of sees Rachel I'm not just saying it from the way I read it he sees her he likes what he sees and he just goes straight to her and uh, waters the sheep and kisses her there was no sort of small talk I mean usually (laughs) usually we like to say hey come to this well often or (laughs) nice sheep (laughs) it was just straight into it he liked Rachel she was beautiful he liked her and he kissed her and from that time on, Jacob had his heart set on marrying Rachel. Now, Rachel had an older sister and while Rachel um, means lamb or ewe lamb, I think that's a young lamb, uh, unfortunately, Leah can mean a wild cow. <laughs> I'm starting to see why he likes Rachel. <laughs> I'm glad you don't have a... I would a sister, Rachel. Leah, <laughs> that would be interesting. In Jacob's eyes, Leah wasn't the stunning, amazing woman that Rachel was and Jacob wasn't really interested in Leah but Rachel. Um, he comes to an agreement with Laban to work for seven years to be married to Rachel And after that seven years of work, I think it says it just seemed to be a matter of a few days, that's how much he was in love with this woman, just flew past. And he says, I've done the seven years, it's time for me to be married to this woman, your daughter Rachel. So Laban puts on a wedding feast And tricks, Jacob. At the time for them to sleep together, he sends his oldest, his oldest daughter Leah into this tent. And at the time, the uh, custom of the of the time was that it would be a it would have been a very darkened tent, and the, the bride would have been heavily veiled until it was time to uh, for the bride to sleep with the groom. And so that's what it probably wasn't, it says, until morning when Jacob realised what his uncle had done. The deceiver had been deceived. It becomes interesting to look at the negative pattern of behaviour in the generations from Abraham down through to Joseph. And it challenged me. It challenged me this week. What are the influences? What's the legacy, the things that stand out that I'd love for my kids to take on, to make true of their life that they see in me? We looked earlier at the life of Abraham and the way he lied to the Egyptians and to Pharaoh about his wife Sarah and he said it's my sister because he feared for his life and then second, he did a second time with King Abimelech he said this is my sister because he feared for his life and then his son Isaac with the same king Abimelech said this is my sister Rebekah because he feared for his life When Sarah thought she'd never have kids, she gave her servant Hagar to Abraham. When Rachel saw she wasn't having kids, she gave her servant to sleep with Jacob, just as her sister Leah did at the time when she felt she wouldn't have any more children. Isaac favoured Esau, Rebecca favoured Jacob. Esau wanted to murder Jacob. Jacob favoured Joseph, which angered his brothers. And they sold Joseph into slavery telling Jacob that he had died. Rebecca was a manipulator and a deceiver as was her favourite son Jacob as was Jacob's uncle Laban. So after seven years of work for Rachel he had for want of a better term, the unwanted Leah. And so he says to Laban, why have you done this? And Laban gives the excuse that it's a tradition and a custom of the time. The The oldest has to be married off first. And so he settles for another arrangement. Even though he marries her after one week, he marries Rachel after way. He settles for another arrangement, another seven years' work. He really must have loved Rachel. Then Jacob started his family. First with Leah, her servant Zilpah, Rachel and her servant Bilhah. There was fighting, pride. There was jealousy. There was a man sleeping with four women. It's all you need for a prime time 8.30 on a Wednesday night. It would be a hit miniseries. But behind all that is a merciful, gracious God. fulfilling his covenant promise with his people, allowing pregnancy, bringing life into the world, the beginning of a nation. God is in it. God is doing it. And the same God of grace and mercy, of Genesis, of Jacob is the same God this morning who desires to be in relationship with you. A God who has a plan and a purpose for your life. As hopeless, as broken as you might think you are. as small as the faith that you think you might have to give God, to place in him. Right now he asks that you do take that, whatever it is, and place it in him because it's not so much about how big and huge your faith is but about how big and powerful our God is. What God can do with your life is so much more and so much better than what you will ever be able to do with it on your own. What God can do with your life is so much more and so much better than what you will ever be able to achieve or do with your life on your own. Let's pray. Lord and God, we are reminded in your word this morning of your mercy and your grace. And this morning, we sit here because you have been merciful to us. We no longer face the consequences, the penalty for our sin, which is death. And you've been gracious to us by sending your son Jesus Christ to pay that price. And so this morning would our response be one of faith and trust in you to give you everything because what you can do with our lives is so much more than what we could ever do with our lives. May we go from this place with the confidence and the hope that you can mould us and change us to become more like Jesus every day. Bless us as we leave this place and go into our communities to be your witness. In Jesus' name. Amen.